Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, gather around. It's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Rundown. Today is December 4th, 2020, and we are talking BlackRock, seeing Bitcoin as a global market asset. That's right. The potential is there for reserve currency. Talking about it top of the rundown. Let's do it. The Rundown. You know, it wasn't enough for BlackRock to push the price of uh, Bitcoin up last week. <laughs> they had to come back and do it all over again, right? Right before Thanksgiving. Well, BlackRock, the world's largest fund manager with $7.2 trillion in assets, caters to family offices, retail. You guys already know <laughs> we've been talking about BlackRock all year. And while they have been talking about Bitcoin and they've been definitely digital asset curious out there. <laughs> What's funny is the CIO Rick Ryder went as far as stating that Bitcoin could replace gold and said, oh, you know what? It's probably here to stay. <laughs> that alone was more than well received by everyone here in the Bitcoin and crypto space. And we talked about it. We had a whole show about it a couple weeks ago. Check it out. But today, the big chief, the big CEO, Mr. Larry Fink, He's the main guy. He's the guy. So, of course, he couldn't let his buddy Rick uh, take all the limelight. So he jumped in there today, actually a couple days ago at the Council of Foreign Relations. And he said eh, a couple of good things about Bitcoin and about digital assets. Take a listen. It's lonely out of space on such a and I think it's gonna be a long, long time to touch down brings me round again to find I would just start off and say digital currency uh, is a mechanism um, to bring down costs quite considerably. Um, and just like companies that do very well because they provide great convenience and price transparency, there's no question digital currency provides that convenience, that simplicity. So there's a great need to create it. On the other hand, it needs to be organized. It needs to be governed. Um, it is. It needs to be a component of governmental policy worldwide. Uh, and now related to Bitcoin, um, one of my important investors was on one of the television shows the last few days, and he spoke about Bitcoin and two of you know one 
monetary policy, two and three, COVID. Um, the hits on BlackRock's uh, on our website was 3,000 on COVID, 3,000 hits on a monetary policy, and 600,000 hits on Bitcoin. So what that tells you is Bitcoin has, has, has caught the attention and the imagination of many people. Many people are fascinated about it. Many people are excited about it, but it's still untested. It's still a pretty uh, small market relative to other markets. It really, it can be, you know, we see these big giant movements every day. It's a thin market. And so can it evolve into a global market? Possibly, certainly by evidence of the imagination of so many who want to learn about it or interested in about it, to me is a very telling sign. Sounds like they're listening, right? <laughs> Sounds like they're listening to the people in the know. It's no surprise what Larry's saying. And quite honestly, you know more of this than he does. <laughs> like, make no mistake. But honestly, one telling thing there, one telling thing. One of the largest asset managers in the world, BlackRock. CEO Larry Fink, king of ETFs, just made Bitcoin an asset class. Thank you and check me. But that's not the main piece that I really got out of this little symposium thing that they put together here. Uh, it was this next part that kind of perked my ears. So take a listen to this. We look at it as something is real, but it's still untested. It still, it still has many, um, we have to go through many markets to see if it's, if it's going to be permanently real or it's going to be a variant of that sometime in the future. But lastly, because we're running out of time, I would just say having a digital currency has real impact on the U.S. dollar. Because having a digital currency makes the need for the U.S. dollar to be less relevant. Uh, the U.S. And, and so, and I'm not certain. I'm not talking about for Americans. I'm talking about for international holders of dollar-based assets. The question I would raise, and you know, maybe an, a, another time, Mark and I could talk about it. Does it change the need for dollar reserve as a reserve currency if there was a true digital currency that was uh, that was separated? Uh, from from dollar-based assets and other things like that. So many questions need to be answered before I could say, is it real and alive? But it certainly has co- uh, created a lot of imagination, a lot of interest, and it certainly has the potential to evolving into something real. So it's not surprising he said that, right? All year we've been covering it. And all year we've been saying they're very pro-China. They're very pro-green electric. Or as they say, the green push (laughs) or the green pledge. They're very pro a lot of things. Very pro ETFs. They have a lot of iShare ETFs. 
they had uh, trillions of dollars handed to them by the Fed to invest. Uh, so there's a laundry list of things that we know about BlackRock. I'm not making this up. Go back, listen to the older episodes this year. And not only that, do a little bit of research of your own. And you can actually see, even though I citation everything, but go ahead and do a little research on your own. Go to their website and they say all this stuff. They're even forcing companies out there who they invest in to be green focused. So when he said that about the reserve currency part with the United States, my ears perked up because it got me thinking. The very first thing that popped in my mind was, are they looking at Bitcoin? Are they studying it? Sure they are, right? Are they looking at digital assets? Do they see that as a commodity in the future? Yes, absolutely. Do they see Bitcoin as a commodity in the future? I think so. But what's interesting here, what's very interesting is he was on board with uh, the United States dollar not being the reserve currency anymore. You can kind of hear it, right, at that, at, at that last segment there. So if he's not pro United States reserve currency dollar and he's hedging here with what's going on in China, but he never mentioned China, what's what's going on? We have the European bank. We have Christine Lagarde. We have a lot of different things going on all at once. Right. Canada came out today and said now they're looking at a digital currency. So a lot of things are moving fast. I'm starting to wonder here, ladies and gentlemen, if FedCoin, if that's what they're going to call it, who knows, is going to try something a little bit more serious. And I'm not trying to scare you. <laughs> so I'm not trying to scare you. I don't know anymore if they're going to be doing, because I always thought if they made like a FedCoin or something, and we did a whole you know, episode on it, so I'll be very brief here. But if they did make a Fed coin, they would use it kind of like what uh, Facebook was going to do. They would have a coin. It'd be tied to a reserve number of assets, probably around ETFs, probably around, you know, who knows, right? It would probably be tied to a lot of stuff like that, un underlining it, right? Um, and then it would kind of offset in real time and adjust for inflation, deflation on the fly, right? Maybe that could be something that could compete with Bitcoin. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Or maybe they put a limited supply of that Fed coin or whatever. And that is this worldwide reserve currency that everybody fights for. I'm sorry to think now <laughs> with more information that we're getting now from BlackRock, because this is one of the biggest companies in the world and they control a lot of sectors of the global economy. So I'm sorry to think like maybe just from what he said today, it sounds like they're up to something and it sounds like it sounds to me like and we'll have to wait and see. But it does sound like to me there is something going on and I think they're going to try to take on Bitcoin. But <laughs> but don't get too scared because we don't know for certain. This is just me speculating. This is what I love to do. <laughs> right. And you, you pay me for it. So this is what we're doing here. But just remember this. More and more people and corporations are waking up to Bitcoin, right? It's natural. This is what this whole bull cycle is about. This is how we're going to get to 100K by next year, hopefully. All roads will lead back to Bitcoin, right? The reason being is in a new, and this is, their, this is them talking, in a new, <laughs> the great reset, in a new digital first world with digital money, yes, 
Bitcoin wins every single time because it is the reserve asset of the internet. I think I think these days most people don't realize that Bitcoin changes narratives, right? Every so often, every couple of years. In the beginning, it was more like cash. Now I say people like to call it like digital gold, but in the future, people will look to it as a reserve asset. Make no mistake. And then all roads will lead back to Bitcoin. And then everybody will realize how important it really was and how everybody just kind of watched it go by. And then at that point, <laughs> at that point, ladies and gentlemen, Bitcoin will be worth more than BlackRock. <laughs> okay, let's get on to five good minutes. So today in five good minutes, we're gonna we're gonna change it up a little bit. We're gonna talk. The herd is still coming in 2021 because from from what I hear now, <laughs> and we'll talk more about this come January. But what I hear now is oh, start the timer. So in 2017, ICOs really boomed crypto, Ethereum. And Bitcoin somewhat, right? But it was mostly Bitcoin that took over towards the end. This year was a little bit different because we had DeFi really make an explosion here come May, June, July, August. Remember those amazing months? Really push everything forward. And then come Bitcoin towards the later half here in October, November, December. Now, people are wondering, okay, so what does that look like for next year, Car? Where are we headed for next year? Who's going to be driving adoption who's going to be pushing everything forward well guess who was on the news again today paul tudor jones take a listen to what he says the, the, the bitcoin reminds me so much of the internet stocks of 1999 because the internet was in its infancy infancy no one knew how to value it because of the world of possibility that lay ahead what you can be certain of is that probably 20 years from now, uh, our kids and grandkids, whatever, all of us will be using some type of digital currency. Digital currency will be um, will be used by every sovereign. They may have their own digital currency, whatever. They'll be very, very, very commonplace at that point in time. Cash may be gone, uh, and so in that world. Where does Bitcoin fit in, um, as well as some of the other uh, cryptocurrencies? Where does uh, Ethereum or Tether? I kind of I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I think um, that Bitcoin. If I if I really had to kind of guess what the future is going to be, it's going to be a, a lot like the metals complex where you have precious crypto, that might be Bitcoin. It's the first crypto, first mover in the world that's so compressed, it has that historical integrity within digital currencies that it will always have. So that might, and again, because of its finite supply, that might be the precious 
crypto. Then you're going to have transactional cryptocurrencies along with the sovereigns. And they may be more like the industrial metals. So where you have gold as a precious metal, then you've got copper and platinum and palladium, et cetera, that are industrial, lead, aluminum, industrial metals. You may have precious crypto and you may have industrial crypto. So three things there. First, Paul Tudor Jones coming back again, talking about Bitcoin. Bullish news. This lets other macro investors look at this and think, oh, my God, Paul Tudor Jones. <laughs> Got to get more Bitcoin, huh? <laughs> so there you go. That's going to help adoption come 2021, right? Next thing, whole internet thing. I see what he's talking about. Yes, it's not the same, but it, it to him, it makes it makes it makes sense, right? I understand what he's saying. Yeah, it crashed and Amazon came out of it. Google came out of it. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get it. Um, I, I think, yeah, if you look at just strictly the charts and the markets, yeah, it's going to look like that. But if you look strictly at what Bitcoin's going to be eating, similar to what the iPhone ate, then you'll understand like, yeah, Bitcoin's going to be eating all sorts of shit, <laughs> not just commodities. Third thing, man, this is really quick. Third thing, <laughs> third thing. He forgot to mention one thing. And it's weird because his, he's starting to think that way. And he, he really didn't know how to say it because he's not a technologist. Hard digital assets. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? How in a world where there is nothing but fiat currency, and let's hope the Fed, Fed coin doesn't become <laughs> a, a, a hard capped uh, uh, denominated token of some sort. Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I still think Bitcoin wins, but let's just hope for the sake of this argument that doesn't happen. Hopefully no one from the Fed is listening. But in a world like that, I'm really quickly, um, hard digital assets. Go back and listen to the episode because I actually drop a lot of knowledge bombs in there. But in a world where it's just fiat currency, Bitcoin wins every single time. And then when it does win, it gets a $10 million per coin by the end of the decade. That's stock to flow ratio. And you start looking at other hard capped assets. By that time, a lot of these uh, altcoins, as we call them, <laughs> shit coins by Bitcoin maximalists, uh, maximalism, they call them shit coins. But in 10 years, I don't know, I call them uh, hard digital assets <laughs> and I call them really cheap right now. And uh, that turns out to be more more Bitcoin for me in the future. So, yeah, it, it to me, go back and listen to the episode, then you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about. But, yeah, well, I'm not going to name any names here, but you start understanding, like, in a world of fiat currency where everything's fakely, fakely printed, what are the hard cap cryptocurrencies out there at that time? And then it gets really interesting. But that's not till the end of the decade. Uh, for now, let's jump into one more thing real quick. Frank Shapiro, very great journalist for The Block, talking with somebody inside baseball on the institutional space, institutional side, macro investors. Take a listen. What he got them to answer. It's amazing. Um, I do think there are more corporates in the pipeline. Um, and I think I think Michael and MicroStrategy really paved the way for for people to, you know, to, to invest. Yeah, a random software business analytics company in Virginia. Who would have, who would have thunk? Uh, Moro, uh, how many companies are we talking about? You think looking to do this? Um, corporates who will allocate Bitcoin as part of the treasury um, allocation strategy. I mean, is it, is it defined corporate here? Are we talking publicly, publicly, traded, traded, publicly traded companies? How many publicly traded companies are going to buy within what time frame? Over the next like year. For the next year, I'm going to say, I'll, I'll put the number at 250. 
Okay, that's significant. So that's a that's that's a pipeline that all of you will be keen to compete over. Crazy, right? Two hundred and fifty companies he's predicting, and these are guys that are with Genesis, BitGo, and they're all being courted. <laughs> they're all being courted right now uh, through text messages, through all sorts of phone calls, probably through email. And time is running out, but you know what I'm saying. This is where the herd is coming in 2021. I'm still kind of waiting for another catalyst, but as it kind of starts opening up a little bit more here, we get closer to the end of the year and next year, we'll kind of see it before everybody else. But this is definitely going to be one of them. With that, let's get into Code Hard Truth. The Hard Truth. So today in the hard truth, we are talking stable coins and PayPal and more stable coins. This is a jam-packed show. <laughs> I'm going to say thriller rundown. We got this is a really a meat-filled <laughs> thriller rundown. Uh, there's so much in here, but this is important. So everybody knows PayPal's jumped into the crypto scene. They want to do Bitcoin. I think they're doing Ethereum. I still haven't seen it showing up on my wallet yet. So I'm kind of like, uh, I want to play with this too. Anyways, <laughs> so they had a web summit uh, this past Wednesday and where they talked about, you know, they they estimated like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that will automatically invest in Bitcoin and da, 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 da. It was, it was very much as you would say, uh, let's pump it, right? And honestly... Dan Schulman went on stage and says, yeah, we're going to create another financial system. We've talked about on the show. This, this is going to be layer two for Bitcoin, unfortunately, very centralized, very much controlled by PayPal. That's all well and good. And maybe they'll implement Lightning at some point, yada, yada, yada. But they also are looking at stable coins. Well, it just so happened this week. Everybody's talking about stable coins because now there's a new proposed bill that got, I guess, submitted. Didn't even get passed. It just got submitted and everybody kind of freaking out. But anyway, <laughs> this new stable act uh, is trying to change a lot of things. But I, to me, I find a lot of this stuff boring <laughs> once it gets to like politics. See, this is what I tell you. Once it gets to like proposed bills and, and you know, I, I let other people who find it fascinating do the work for me. And that's why I have Naomi, Naomi Brock. She did an excellent episode at MBTV. And it, it's uh, really fascinating. So take a listen. This week was filled with a bunch of stablecoin news. Facebook's Libra Association rebranded to the DM Association. Visa is connecting its 60 million merchants to the stablecoin USDC on the Ethereum blockchain. But the biggest news was a crazy new bill that was introduced to Congress yesterday. The Stable Act, which stands for Stablecoin Tethering and Bank Licensing Enforcement. They always have such great acronyms for their terrible laws. It's pitched as a way to protect consumers from the risks posed by emerging digital payment instruments and would require issuers of stablecoins to obtain a banking charter. And thank goodness for that protection, because no banks that have a banking charter have ever screwed over customers before. 
They said digital currencies whose value is permanently pegged to or stabilized against a conventional currency like the dollar pose new regulatory challenges while also represent a growing source of the market, liquidity and credit risk. The Stable Act would require any bank issuing a stablecoin to notify and obtain approval from the Fed, the FDIC, and the appropriate banking agency six months prior to its issuance and maintain an ongoing analysis of potential systemic impacts and risks. Hi, Fed? Yeah, we'd like to release a currency that will compete with yours. Will that competition be a problem for you or the banks that we're trying to make obsolete? Here's an interesting part. Stablecoin issuers must either obtain FDIC insurance or otherwise maintain reserves at the Federal Reserve. Well, that first option isn't viable at all. The whole reason Wyoming bypassed the FDIC with their new Special Purpose Depository Institute, SPDI or Crypto Bank, is precisely because the FDIC regards crypto as a high-risk industry. They won't insure accounts related to the industry. So for that reason, banks routinely shut down these accounts. But as we already mentioned, this law would also require you to become a bank. Great news for entrenched interests like Chase, who already have a banking charter and also have their own stablecoin. Not so great for allowing competition to Chase. Luckily, the new bank charters in Wyoming do provide some optionality. However, the application process to be granted a banking charter for an SPDI is still an incredibly complex and expensive process. And now, if you're approved, you'll then have to give a bunch more money to the Fed under this new law. A congresswoman who sponsored the bill, Radisha Tlaib, said preventing cryptocurrency providers from repeating the crimes against low and moderate income residents of color traditional banks have is critically important. That's why I'm proud to introduce the Stable Act. Jill Carlson rightly pointed out that cryptocurrencies like stablecoins are highly inclusive of the underbanked, and the Stable Act will hurt this progress by erecting more barriers to entry. Indeed, it does seem highly suspicious that the act seems to further entrench the interests of juggernauts like JP Morgan Chase to the detriment of those who are looking for alternatives to the banking system rather than forced participation in it. So Naomi did a great job in, in discussing all of that. I have nothing to add. <laughs> Thank you, Naomi. Make sure to check out her YouTube channel. It's, it's amazing. She does these one-off kind of investigative pieces where I'm just like, thank you so much. <laughs> I really didn't want to sit through pages and pages of understanding what's going on. And there's so much chatter on crypto Twitter about this, um, that it's, it's just too many sides to really, to me, I find it wasted energy to get all hot and bothered about something that is likely not going to pass. And that's where this bill is at from what she's telling us. It has no, no merit. So it probably won't pass at all. And, yeah. So that's to me, that's the hard truth you need to get out of all of this. The other thing that's kind of interesting here is that you have PayPal supposedly working with Circle and Coinbase with their own USDC. Right. So we know they have a banking charter license. I mean, I, I, it's kind of weird that they're just fighting amongst each other um, on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And it just seems more political than anything else. Um and I think it has more to do with the whole transition that's going on right now behind the scene, behind the scenes here in the States. Uh, unfortunately, that kind of is muddying the waters a little bit with what's going forward, what's getting pulled back and everything like that. I think once we get to 2021 and we kind of reassess everything and kind of see who's actually in control of what, then we'll kind of know more of where this 
either new or current administration is headed towards. So uh, honestly, we really won't know anything until much later. Um, but at the end of the day, it's good. It's good information to know because if this don't want you to be like sideswiped <laughs> one day, yeah, they just passed a stable coin bill and then boom, tether implodes and then boom, <laughs> Bitcoin tanks. But if this bill were to pass, tether would implode. And yes, and yes, Bitcoin will tank. Um, so hopefully that doesn't. Okay. I will also put some um, tweets here in the newsletter from like Jeremy Alar uh, talking about the Stable Act and then Rohan Gray also talking about the Stable Act, uh, just so you can get some more context behind all of that in case you're interested in reading some some more about it, because I do think it's important. I just don't want to, uh, you know, not inform you about it. Uh, and I want to make sure you have everything you need to look ahead. Speaking of looking ahead. I think here in 2021, people need to start understanding the keyword memetic desire. We talked about it briefly earlier, a couple months ago, earlier this month. I think it even brought it up during Bitcoin in December. That's a tricky thing. Once these corporations who are <laughs> courting these big crypto and Bitcoin companies uh, for asset allocation, it starts becoming kind of a game of musical chairs, right? But it also starts informing a lot of others that they maybe should do the same as well too. And that's where Mimetic Desire really comes in and kicks in. And I definitely think that's gonna be a catalyst here in 2021. And I definitely think that's gonna help us get to 100K. See you next time.